Hey, what's up, everybody? It is another episode of the Snipe and Selly podcast, FTF Media's guide to anything and everything happening on the ice. I'm your host, Mark, and I am joined once again by my awesome line mates. We're skating shorthanded today, but I do have Lauren and Haley both with me. Ladies, how are you? Doing great, especially after the uh, Bruins game there, so definitely feeling a little better than I was this morning. I'm doing good. I'm exhausted, but I am here. So, Haley had a late night last night, but we're happy that she made it uh, on with us. And as Lauren alluded to, yes, the Bruins, I love matinee hockey. Uh, Sunday matinee hockey is just perfect. It's only an hour earlier than we would usually get Sunday football in the fall. But for some reason, it just that hour makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I love matinee hockey. And the Bruins beat the snot out of the, uh, out of the Capitals a little bit earlier. And, you know, the Capitals tried to beat the snot. <laughs> cheaply out of the Bruins, but uh, the Bruins won where it counts. Uh, so yeah, they're very riding that emotional wave right now. Uh, so stay tuned over the next hour or so to hear our thoughts and what's been going on around the National Hockey League and the hockey world as a whole since the last time we all got together. And so without further delay, let's drop the puck for our opening face-off. And for our opening face-off, I mean, we already alluded to a game that we just watched uh, you know, minutes before jumping on to start this episode is it's a full day of hockey right now. So I'm, I'm in heaven. Lauren, do you have an opening face off for us to get us started here? Anything on your mind? I just want to give a big middle finger to Tom Wilson. Um, even though today's hit wasn't like quote unquote dirty, he's lost any benefit of the doubt over the last couple of years. And especially this season, you know, he knocked out Brandon Carlo and then everything he does is just like, he didn't have to go after Corelli and, oh, he fell. He was falling. Yes, he was. But Tom Wilson still had the power to not go toward him. So just like I said, big middle finger to him, and that's about it. Yeah, and listen, I understand that fanhood is, you know, people, they get caught up in the moment. They want to support their players. Just because Tom Wilson plays for your team and you're a Washington Capitals fan does not mean that you are morally obligated to try and defend or spin zone questionable hit after questionable hit. And I saw Capitals fans doing this. And for anyone who wasn't watching the game, the hit that Lauren is referring to, uh, Sean Corrali from the Bruins was in the middle of losing his balance. And uh, as he was falling over, Tom Wilson, after taking three or four strides, comes in and makes contact and, in my opinion, appeared to be leading with his forearm. And even if you think that was coincidental, again, like Lauren just alluded to, he's lost the benefit of the doubt. And Bruins players didn't like it. So, you know, it's one thing for us to be sitting here and saying, you know, that's a dirty hit, that's not a dirty hit. When the players in the ice take exception to something, they're closer to it. They And they have a relationship with the you know their opponents. So there's something to it. And, and so, yeah, like Lauren said, just – you need to stop giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. He is dangerous to be on the ice. No matter how skilled he is, he's dangerous to have out there if you are facing him because you don't know if your players are going to, you know, there's enough a risk of injury as it stands playing a physical game like ice hockey. You don't need to have players taking unprovoked cheap shots to, you know, accentuate those, uh, those odds. So absolutely, Lauren. Um, Haley, how about yourself? Do you have an opening face-off for us here as we get started? I was really excited to see the numbers for the viewership for the Isabel Cup um, games. That was really cool to see recently. And 
there was a substantial amount of people viewing. And I think that that just shows how much they should be broadcasting those games on TV. Like people watched, a lot of people watched. So I think that they need to pay attention to that in account for next season and give us some more games on TV. Absolutely. Yeah, there the numbers were pretty staggering. Over 100k in uh, in viewers on both nights of uh, you know on both night one and night two of the Isabel Cup semifinals and finals. Uh, that, that's and the we had discussed on previous episodes how impressive the viewership on Twitch had been, how it had been increasing pretty much every night. And this weekend blew them out of the water. That blew every single. I think the first night, the semifinals for the Isabel Cup did more viewership than the entire NWHL season in Lake Placid bubble. Uh, you know, and it helps when you have, you know, the, the help of NBC sports network, but yeah, we spoke on that other episode um, uh, when we were recapping the Isabel cup weekend about how impressive of a, a weekend of hockey that was. And as it turns out, it wasn't just us watching. There was hundreds of thousands of people watching and uh, yeah, absolutely. Haley, very impressive. As for myself, I did want to do, uh, you know, just a mention as an aside for my opening face-off. We've been fairly critical of the National Hockey League in previous episodes about whether or not hockey is for everyone. You know, there, there, there's the phrase, but words are just words. You know, you need to take action. And I thought it was a very, very cool moment to have actually just yesterday, Saturday, uh, April 17th, the Sabres and Penguins had uh, had pride, their pride game. Uh, and so you had, uh, you know, players using tape on their sticks uh, with, you know, the different colors uh, to represent the LGBTIA, uh, LBGTQIA plus uh, community. Uh, you had, uh, you know, just a, a lot of good gestures towards representation. Again, they need to be just beyond just gestures, but that's, you know, that, that has to feel very inclusive if you're a member of that community. And, uh, you know, uh, kudos to the NHL for taking that step. Hopefully they take more steps to continue to make their game more inclusive and, you know, really promote it for everyone. And so that that way hockey is for everyone. Isn't just a catchphrase that you print on a t-shirt. It, you know, it's something that they actually believe in. So kudos to both those teams for taking part in that game. But with that being said, we want to roll right into our coast-to-coast league news. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry that COVID-19 continues to dominate our news segments. But we, we won't try and spend too much time on it. But it, it would be disingenuous for us to ignore this Canuck story, which has continued to exacerbate and get even worse. So as it stands right now, we are recording on Sunday afternoon, April 18th. And the Canucks are scheduled to play today. They're scheduled to return from a multiple week shutdown from COVID-19 in which pretty much every member of the organization, at least players and coaches, uh, seem to have had caught the virus, possibly even extending to families. And we spoke on a previous episode about how it just seemed like the league really wasn't taking the health and safety of its players, you know, wasn't putting that paramount. And now we actually have that, you know, Canucks players speaking out saying, we don't feel safe right now. The league is trying to come out and force us to play another, you know, 19 games over the course of 30 days. You know, the, the, the league year, uh, the regular season is now ending on May 19th uh, due to more rescheduling. So 
over the course of 31 days, the Canucks are now going to have to play 19 games to uh, finish off their season. That is ludicrous. And these are players who are just recovering from COVID-19. And again, you know, recovering doesn't necessarily mean you're 100% again. There are lingering effects. And we're starting to see a lot of these players describe the, the different lingering effects that, uh, that they've felt since, you know, quote unquote, recovering from the virus. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, JT Miller, uh, winger for the Canucks, who spoke about how he just feels completely unsafe. Um, you know, th- th- what is being accomplished by the league by rushing them back is dangerous to a lot of players. And, you know, general manager Jim Benning did have his back there. It's good to have, you know, team leadership take the side of the players as opposed to the league in this case. But it just doesn't seem to matter. The league is not taking this into consideration. They basically said, okay, you guys, you have your, uh, your negative results, you're back on the ice. So Lauren, I want to start with you. You know, what do you make? Have you seen some of these comment, uh, comments made by Canucks players? There was some startling uh, reveals by Brandon Sutter, one of the forwards for the Canucks, talking about how his pregnant wife and uh, his two-year-old daughter both tested positive as a result of him having a positive test and not knowing it in time. It, it just, this seems like a really, really black eye for the league at this point. Yeah, and kudos to the Canucks players for speaking up and, you know, saying they don't feel comfortable. I think that's that's huge. And, you know, their health and safety, it's always, you always constantly hear it's about the player's health and safety. Clearly, it's not. And I understand that the NHL wants to get them back on the ice. I understand there's about three weeks left in the season. I get it. But you have most of your staff and your players testing positive for a variant, not the U.S. variant or the the variant that's been around. It's this new one where symptoms seem to be a little worse, a little more. And, you know, like Brandon Sutter said, you know, his his daughter, his wife, and affecting their families. And you can only do so much. You know, you can get your positive test in quarantine, but you can still pass this on. Who knows when they were actually, you know, carrying the virus. but even once they test negative, you still have to think, how are they you know, feeling mentally, physically? They're probably mentally drained for being, from being in quarantine, physically drained because you're exhausted. You can't do anything. They probably don't want to work out. And now they haven't played a game in a while. So now it's just throwing them right back into game action gets a little bit dangerous. They could get seriously hurt. They could... I mean, we don't know these long-lasting effects. You look at Erod from the Red Sox, who had myocarditis, and knock on wood, he seems to be okay, but you don't know what could come afterward. And I just don't think throwing these guys back on the ice the second you can is smart. I think they all need to feel comfortable. And they also, like these players, they're human beings. They need to protect their families and themselves too, and those around them. And if their employer is unable to provide that for them and provide something like, you know what, you're right. It's like, what are we doing here? Because you guys were so successful in the bubble. You were pretty successful this year, say for the Dallas Stars at the beginning of the season. And it's just like, what, don't ruin it now. You're so close to the end. Like there's, there's definitely a way to figure it out, but don't force these players to come back if they're not ready, even if they are testing negative. Yeah. And We've seen comments from players saying that, you know, just going up the stairs exhausted them uh, in the back half of their illness. You know, this is just, it ties back to, you know, the reaction 
over this past year by people say, well, you know, they get it and then they're fine. When you're, when you have athletes who continue to say, Hey, this drained me uh, physically. And these are the people who are in much better physical condition than you or I, uh, or, you know, 99% of the population, that's a concern. And, uh, and just shoving them back onto the ice is just ludicrous. And so Haley, you know, I want to go to you here. We talked about on a previous episode about how at this point, the Scotia North division, the, the top four seeds seem pretty set. There's a very little chance that Montreal gets uprooted as the fourth seed in this division. So essentially you're forcing this Canucks team back onto the ice to play 19 games in 31 days when it's not even going to get them into the playoffs most likely, uh, especially considering the state that most of the roster must be in. Uh, if anything, it might just make things worse for them. I mean, what kind of message does this send? Uh, you know, if you know, you're a young uh, fan watching this league or just a fan of any age, seeing that the league is just you know, treating its players like commodities like this and not even in a way where you know, the Canucks, or at least maybe they're in the middle of a playoff run. Well, they got to get back on the ice if they're going to be a playoff team. No, this, they're most likely missing the playoffs unless something absolutely miraculous happens. Yeah, I mean, I think it just gives the message that you don't care about player health and safety. Like, you're so big on this. We, we care about this. We want our players healthy. We want them safe. That's why you did a bubble in the first place, and it worked better than any of the other sports leagues, which obviously you can't do for a regular season versus a playoff, but, like, what, I don't understand why they're not considering the fact that you don't even know the complications these guys are going to have. If it's not even the strain that you've seen before – you have absolutely zero idea what they're going through. The fact that his pregnant wife and two-year-old daughter got it, like, that's scary. That's not only taking a toll on his physical health, having it himself, but his mental health because he gave it to his family. And that's not fair to them. I just don't see why we're forcing them back in, like you said, if they're not even going to make the playoffs. Like, I feel like, obviously, this, the players are going to speak up no matter what because they don't feel safe. But at the same time, the players kind of know if they're not making the playoffs as well. So they're probably feeling that, like, why are you rushing me back in if it's not even worth anything? Like, cool, you finish your season. The rest of us are hurt, breathing on inhalers because we have breathing problems now and our families have COVID. Cool. I'm glad we made you some money. Yeah. And I mean, the NHL had already, what I thought was, uh, they put together what I thought was a really good backup plan. Uh, saying, you know, hey, if by, you know, some way, shape, or form, teams cannot complete this 56-game abbreviated season, we are uh, going to go off of points percentage. So if a team, you know, only plays, you know, 50 games, uh, but and they might have fewer points than the, the final team in the, in the uh, division, but they, you know, had a higher points percentage uh, than them, uh, earn points in more games, then that team makes the playoffs. The other team doesn't. That's very fair. Uh, you know, yeah. so the fact that you have uh, the league putting that fail safe into place and then saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're still going to, you know, cram all 56 games in to the point where uh, teams are going to be playing three games in four nights. The Bruins and Sabres are going to play. It's almost going to be like a, a playoff series. If the Sabres were any good, the Bruins and Sabres are going to play three games in four nights in Buffalo this week. I mean, that's absolutely nuts. Like uh, it takes a toll on their bodies and all of these decisions are being made by people who do not have to go through that physical exertion. That's what really kills me. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it just seems like it's all about the money for the NHL. We can't lose games because then we're losing viewership and we're losing the money. And I understand COVID probably hurt them in the money department too, right? Last year, not really having getting a season canceled and not having a full out playoff. But your players' well being comes first, always comes first. And they obviously aren't doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lauren, did you have any other thoughts on this before we moved on? No, just they need to figure it out. Like, you know, if your players, if you really say your player's safety comes first, you need to show it because they could get hurt. They could get sicker. Like we, it's just not worth it. It's not worth risking their future because who knows early retirement injuries, families. It's just, it's stupid to figure it out. Yeah. And again, I think that just ethically, this just stinks to high heaven and it wouldn't be okay you know, to be clear, to clarify my comments from earlier, it still wouldn't be okay if this was a team that was third in its division and, you know, kind of engraved in a playoff spot. Uh, you know, still you need to take player safety first and uh, make that paramount. But the fact that it's not, th- this outbreak is not threatening the integrity of your Stanley Cup playoffs and you still can't, you know, come to a point of common sense and say, okay, you know what? We're going to, we're, we're, you know, we're going to put the Canucks on hiatus indefinitely. You know, the teams that are currently in a, uh, in a, in a playoff position, uh, you know, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, um, and not Vancouver, sorry, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Montreal, uh, those four teams uh, will, you know, engage in a practice similar to what we saw in bubble play last year and, you know, playing a round robin for seeding. That way you still get to see them play games uh, they have implications, but you know those are your teams that are making the playoffs. The, you know the other teams just Calgary's a mess. Uh, Vancouver obviously you know has not been playing, and Ottawa you know as well noted by this point, Ottawa was a flop this season. Thanks guys. Uh, so those are your four playoff teams. Have them play for seeding, and you know that will that that ends up working out for you. Uh, it just it, it boggles my mind that they are putting the Canucks players through this, and I just hope that number one, they remain, you know, safe and healthy. Uh, They recover nicely. Their families recover nicely from this virus and that they're able to, you know, stay physically healthy and avoid injury uh, in, you know, playing nearly 20 games over the course of a month. Just absolutely ludicrous. That's a pretty good transition for us as we hit our, really our only other news item. And that is once again, related to revenue for the National Hockey League. (laughs) Uh, so there was a story that uh, was came out just yesterday, um, written by Mark Burns of the Sports Business Journal, saying that NHL jersey ads could be arriving by the 2022-23 season. This should not be very shocking. I mean, we uh, number one, as we've covered previously, we have you know sponsorships for the, each division. We have you know uh, patches on helmets. So. Jersey patches is something that you see at, at the American Hockey League level uh, in the minors. And yeah, it just, it would not shock me to see that take place in the NHL either. So the fact that they're considering this, I'd be shocked if they weren't at this point, you know, just find ways to make more money for the league that doesn't threaten the health and safety of your players. This is a good thing. You know, this is what they should be focusing on doing more, find alternate ways to generate revenue uh, so that you can pay your players more and, you know, keep them safe. So you know, Lauren, I'll start with you first. Do you have any 
issues, you know, or uh, I know there are some hockey purists who are like, you know, shouldn't have uh, advertisements on, on the sweater. This is a classic thing. I mean, just like with the patches on helmets, you barely notice, uh, you know, and if you're, you know, watching the action on the ice, you can't notice at all. You have to have, uh, you know, the absolute greatest vision on, you know, ever to even notice that there are advertisements on these players. So do you think this is a good thing for the league? And, you know, is there any problem that you have with having Jersey patches? No, I mean, listen, people got mad over the ads on the helmets and you barely even notice them. Um, you know, the league is going to do whatever it can to make money, especially after last season. And especially after this season, when they're still losing money, even though fans are allowed back in a lot of um, stadiums at, at a certain capacity. So I get it. Like, I don't care. They're going to do whatever they have to do. Um, and if you don't like the, the ads on the jerseys and you don't like this and that, don't, don't buy them. I don't know. Like, you're not wearing them. It's just such a weird thing to get angry over. And, I mean, if it was obnoxious and in the way, sure, okay, whatever. But it's probably going to be something that's not even really noticeable. And it's not going to impact the way you watch a hockey game. So it's just very weird the things people decide to get mad at. Yeah, and listen, let's just point out, uh, the NWHL had Dunkin' Donuts patches uh, on pl players' uh, jerseys, and I don't think anyone noticed. You know, if, any if anything, they just uh, subliminally, yeah, subliminally had that urge to go grab a nice coffee from Dunkin's. Please sponsor us, Dunkin'. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you didn't notice there. So, again, you're not going to notice. And like you said, it's this is, it's not like this is going to turn into uh, overseas soccer where you don't even have a team name. It's just a gigantic Chevrolet uh, <laughs> logo on the, the player's chest. Like that's not going to be what happens here. It's going to be small. It's going to be on, you know, the uh, upper right shoulder. It, you know, the NBA does it and that doesn't detract from the quality of the product. MLB's doing the, you know, the, the Nike swoosh over there. Now, again, no one, people barely notice it. Haley, do you think that this would be an issue? Would you, uh, you know, feel like you couldn't buy an uh, NHL jersey if there was, uh, you know, a, a local company sponsoring it on the, uh, you know, on the shoulder? No, I feel like people who are mad about this are just looking for things to be mad about. Like, it is the littlest thing to get mad over. Be mad about the Canucks situation instead. There are way bigger issues going on than whether or not they have ads on their jersey. Like, that's, I don't know, it's minimal. Like, uh, I didn't even notice the Duncan patches, to be honest. So obviously it's not that big of a thing. And if it brings in revenue, which they do need because they obviously lost a lot last season, apparently that's what they're trying to get with forcing the Canucks back in as we just went over. So money is a thing, you know, it's not just revenue for the players either. It's staff and stuff like that. So like, why are we mad? Are we just looking for things to pick fights on or are we really upset about it? You'd be surprised to find out that sometimes people just get mad for the sake of getting mad and they say things to hear themselves talk. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, that's the entire point of social media these days is just to uh, get angry over nothing and uh, argue with people over nothing. So I'm sure there will be people who have issue with this. Uh, they'll, you know, tweet at their favorite. Uh, nothing... <laughs> blows my mind more than when you know a team will tweet like you know flyers go up one nothing on a on a goal and people uh, res respond to the t team account 
oh my God, this team makes me crazy. Oh, play better. It's like, yeah, the social media manager is going to go down to the bench, but Hey guys, the fans are not happy that you fell behind one, nothing, believe it or not. Uh, so I could, I can already see fans tweeting like, I hate the, the ad on the Jersey just to hear themselves talk. It's always someone like, you know, prime Voracek season 69. Uh, like that, that's, that's always the user account. Uh, the, and they never have, you know, an actual profile picture. It's, I hate it. That's a rant for another day, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is just not a, a problem. Uh, you know, again, bring in revenue for the league in a way that, you know, allows you to pay your players more and help the salary cap go up and not threaten their safety. So yeah, it just, it, it seems like a non-issue and I figured it would be a non-issue, but it's news and I wanted to touch on it. So now that is pretty much going to do it for news. I mean, that, that kind of, uh, for the most part, somewhat of a slow news week, but what has happened since the last time we all got together was the trade deadline came and went and the Snipe and Sally crew had some pretty good results in, uh, in the predictions that we made for the trade deadline. And I want to go over those now before we talk about, you know, winners and losers uh, at the deadline. So first and foremost, uh, I did have a correction uh, from our very own Jake, who's not joining us today, but Jake did predict on the episode prior to our trade deadline special that Anthony Mantha would uh, be on the move from Detroit. And he, of course, did go to the Capitals in probably the biggest deal of the deadline uh, in exchange for Jacob Vrana, um, Richard Panik, and first and second round picks. That was a big price that the Capitals paid. But, you know, Mantha is a very good winger and he fits well next to Ovechkin, as we've seen already. So, uh, you know, that's... So credit to Jake for getting that one right. Uh, he went one for two overall, as his other prediction is that Mike Hoffman would be moved from the St. Louis Blues, and they in, indeed kept him because they're still trying to make the playoffs. So Jake went one for two. Myself, I also went one for two, as I predicted that Nick Foligno would be on the move, the Blue Jackets captain. He did indeed get moved to the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, and this could end up being, I think that the Blue Jackets had a great deadline and we'll talk about it in a little bit here but this could be a great move for them because they got assets for Nick Foligno and some people who cover the Blue Jackets think that it's already kind of a done deal he's going to wind up re-signing there anyway because he's got ties for the community his family stayed behind there uh, after his trade so this could very well be like a couple month rental for the Maple Leafs they gave up a first round pick and Foligno ended up going back to uh, to Columbus this summer anyway so that could be fantastic for them but uh, he did move Luke Glendening from the Red Wings did not move. So uh, Red Wings, if you're listening, you traded the wrong player. Not that you should you know, judge your roster decisions on what we say on this podcast, but you, know, you made Jake look good and you made me look bad. So you know, just take that into consideration. The people who look the best right now are Haley and Lauren because their predictions were 100% correct. So Lauren predicted that both Taylor Hall and David Savard would be on the move. As we'll discuss, Taylor Hall went to the Boston Bruins and David Savard went to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Haley said that her Flyers, who were just mired in a very miserable stretch, would not add anyone and would most likely sell. And they did indeed do, uh, do that, trading two players, including uh, Raffle, uh, as well as uh, Eric Gustafson. So uh, not you know huge moves. They did not move Kevin Hayes, which uh, you know Haley was very adamant, do not move Kevin Hayes. They didn't do that. 
so they didn't move any huge pieces, but they, they didn't add and they sold, uh, you know, off players who were on expiring deals. So I'm going to count that as a, as a win. Uh, the, the Flyers did indeed sell. So overall, our predictions were pretty solid here on Snipe and Selly. But let's get into it. Uh, you know, Lauren, I'll start with you first. Out of the teams that made deals at the deadline, whether they were sellers like teams like Columbus or teams that bought, you know, Boston, Florida, Tampa Bay, et cetera, Toronto, who do you think had kind of the best deadline and who do you think, you know, kind of swung and missed? So I really like what Columbus did. Um, you know, I know that they have a ton of draft picks now, but I mean, you are setting yourself up. You could set yourself up for the future here, or you could package those picks for a, a legit player. So I think that, you know, they're really committing to this rebuild. And I, I mean, they have to, if you're going to rebuild, you have to either be all in or know that it's like, a, I have your players know it's like a semi rebuild and it's going to take a while, but they are all in. Um, obviously I really like what the Bruins did. Um, how can you be, uh, be mad about Taylor Hall? Like he, he, you got him pretty much for nothing, even though my Anders Bjork was traded and it broke my heart into a million pieces. I'll survive. But at the end of the day, I mean, Taylor Hall essentially forced his way to Boston. He had a, he really the only team he wanted to play for. He had that no movement clause and he obviously he waived it. Um, and even Curtis Lazar and Mike Riley, I think Mike Riley might be like very, very underrated here. Um, he still has a couple like discrepancies he needs to work on, but man, if he has a shooting lane, he's going to shoot the puck. And that's what they're missing right now, especially with Grizzly out. They're really missing that puck movement and just shooting the puck. Um, and then people who like, I'll call them like the losers of the draft, um, the Canadians, I feel like they're, signing or I'm sorry their, their trades weren't enough even though they kind of address needs but not they're not enough like they needed to do more and they just stood pat so and obviously like Buffalo Sabres they got Bjork but they're still they were they were eliminated from playoff contention yesterday on Saturday so it's we all knew it was a lost season for them but so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rag on them too much but I will absolutely rag on the Habs for not doing enough of the deadline and the Taylor Hall situation, uh, like you highlighted, Lauren, very interesting because even though he was having a down season, just two goals in you know, 37 games with the Sabres, you know, again, he's a player with a pedigree. And a lot of people thought, that, well, you know, there's a lot of teams that, that are, are buying right now. And, you know, Buffalo could probably get, you know, a first round pick for a guy who's probably leaving. And maybe if Hall wasn't, as it turns out, so intent on coming to Boston, maybe they could have done that and get teams to compete against one another. Uh, I know that apparently Vegas emerged as well as Colorado um, in the, you know, the hours before Hall was dealt to Boston saying, you know, okay, you know, we want in. Uh, and at that point, Hall had said, I'm only waiving my no movement clause for Boston. Uh, so get a deal done with them and basically took away all of Buffalo's leverage. And that ends up as a net result of, second round pick and Anders Bjork in exchange for not only Taylor Hall, but also Curtis Lazar. And, you know, I think oftentimes the big names are the ones we all focus on, but players like Curtis Lazar win championships because when you can roll four lines with confidence 
and you know not feel like you know that fourth line is you know going to be an anchor for you and, uh, and and you know potentially bury you because they can't generate any offense. You're going to be trapped in your own zone. Your defensemen are going to be exhausted. When you can roll four lines and with gusto, like that makes a huge difference. And you know a team like Boston has not had a fourth line that looks as solid as the Lazar line does with uh, Sean Corrali and Chris Wagner since their you know 2011 cup run with the merlot line of you know gregory campbell uh sean thornton i mean that's just it really makes a difference so you know not only did they get taylor hall who's got three points in four games since joining boston a couple goals he looks like a rejuvenated player um but you also get a player in curtis lazar who he did net an empty netter the other night so technically he has a goal but uh you know more than anything else it's just been the energy that he's brought and it changes the way that boston plays so, yeah, I would agree, Lauren. Uh, Taylor Hall's a winner at the deadline, and the Bruins in general. I mean, that's a team that, over the course of a week, has just completely changed the tone of its season. They, uh, you know, shortly after we recorded last week, they got drubbed 8-1 to one by the Capitals. I mean, they were severely shorthanded. They were missing their top three defensemen, uh, and they hadn't executed any of their trades yet. But, I mean, the, they left poor Dan Vladar out to dry that night. He gave up eight goals. He was just kind of left in there to suffer. And the mood around the team, I mean, the, the, everyone was just like, I mean, this team, is this just it for them? And they didn't even wait for deadline day. Don Sweeney that night, he acquires Mike Riley. Uh, and then after I had passed out, of course, this happens after I go to bed. Uh, I mean, in my defense, it was almost midnight. I had work the next day. But uh, – they, uh, they acquire Taylor Hall and, and Curtis Lazar. And since that point have also reeled off four straight wins, th- uh, two of them being against a team that they had not defeated all season long in my aisles. So Boston is definitely a winner of the deadline just based on everything that's happened over the last week. Uh, but I would have to say a move that I don't quite understand is the addition of Jeff Carter uh, uh, by Pittsburgh. And Lauren, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on this. Listeners, we're not ignoring Haley here, but trades are just not – roster moves are really not her thing. She kind of enjoys the action on the ice. So, uh, you know, Lauren and I are just kind of talking the deadline here. Yeah. All I knew was that Boston won because they had been winning with the players that they received. Like, the, the players they received were actually scoring goals and doing things for them. So, I was like, yeah, Boston, but that's all I got for you. <laughs> And of course, Haley's very pleased that Kevin Hayes remains a flyer, regardless of how much they're struggling at the moment. Uh, That's a player that she wants to keep around. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a little bit. (laughs) Um, But but Lauren, the addition of Jeff Carter by Pittsburgh, I just don't get it. I mean, yeah, LA retained half his cap hit, which I think that was the (laughs) one of the winners of the deadline may have been the teams with cap space who basically just got free draft picks in exchange for uh, like, oh yeah, trade someone to us. We'll retain half his cap hit and then trade him to you uh, so that you, you know, don't have to uh, have to pay as much money and you can stay cap compliant. Like there are teams that uh, like uh, Detroit, Columbus, who were just like, yeah, we'll facilitate this trade uh, and we'll just, you know, get a free third or fourth round pick from you. Like <laughs> those may have been winners too. But I just, do you think Jeff Carter makes a difference for Pittsburgh, Lauren? I don't. And I, I just feel like when I saw that trade, I was like, what does he bring to the team? that they don't already have or like what what void does he fill because I just feel like and maybe I'm wrong I don't know I really I haven't watched the Penguins at all um since the trade deadline but I just feel like there's 
no, there's no reason to trade for him, I guess. But I mean, if it works, it works, whatever. The Penguins are in playoff contention and I don't think they really needed to make any sort of move. I think they're fine where they are, but I mean, whatever, you know, the Kings are retaining half the salary or whatever it is and they made it work. So good for the Penguins, I guess, but I'm not expecting this to be like a team changing move. Like, oh, yep, that's it. They're going to take over first place now. They're going to get the East top seed. Like, no, Jeff Carter does not do that for teams. Yeah, I mean, this is not Flyers Jeff Carter. Uh, this is not even, you know, early Kings Jeff Carter. This is a guy who's nearing 40, and he just doesn't quite, you know, could he help you as a veteran presence? Sure, but is that really a team that needs like a, a, an injection of a veteran presence? I mean, they, they have a Stanley cup winning pedigree uh, on that Pittsburgh team. So I just, I, it just seems like they made a move just for the sake of making a move. I want to get your thoughts, Lauren, on the, the Mantha deal, because that really ended up being, it was like an hour after the deadline. And sometimes, you know, deals kind of trickle in, which must be a treat for you and media. Um, but that just seemed, it was a, the biggest deal of deadline day, but it just seemed like a massive overpay by Washington. I think Mantha's a very useful player, but Vrana is a, you know, a guy who can score you 25 goals. Uh, you know, Richard Panik is, he's a depth player, but, you know, that's, uh, as we just talk, talked about with Curtis Lazar, you know, those type of depth players can help you win a title. And then you also give up first and second round pick. Uh, and maybe Washington's methodology, we know this is Toronto's methodology, that we don't care about draft picks right now. We're going all in and, uh, you know, we're trying to, to win a cup this year with, with veterans. So we don't care if we sacrifice our next, you know, couple first and second round picks, but that just seems like an overpay for a player that doesn't necessarily put them over the top. Yeah, it was definitely an overpay in my opinion. And again, the Capitals are a very good team. And I feel like, you know, when you're bringing someone in like that, again like what what does he bring obviously he's a good player there's no denying that but is he worth everything you gave up with the players you already have like this team isn't getting younger by any means I mean they signed 43 year old Zidane Char in the offseason Alex Ovechkin is in his late 30s um the team itself just it's getting older and it's not like I mean they could have used these draft picks to not rebuild but you know build around Ovechkin because he's going to play for the next 20 years but Definitely an overpay. I was surprised to see that because you, when you see deals after the deadline, usually they're big, like they're like a Taylor Hall type of trade where it's like, oh, like they finally got this done. But the Capitals are just like, here, take everything and give us Mantha. And it's like, they're like, okay, the Red Wings fine, whatever, we suck anyway. And I mean, cool, they got it done, but will this come back to bite them, you know, down the line in the drafts when it's like, you do need younger players because your team is getting older and as good as Ovechkin is, he will decline at some point. When? I'm, I don't know. But he is going to decline. It's going to happen. So I'm just – I'm not a fan of giving up a ton of draft picks, especially when it's like first and second round and you're packaging them all together for one player, unless it's completely worth it. I don't think this was completely worth it at all. Does it make them better? Sure. But like you said, does it put them over the top? Probably not. You're they're already in first place in the East. Like I think you're fine where you are. Yeah, and the thing too, I think people mainly get the impression with the NHL draft. I think they they think of it similarly to the MLB draft, where you know, well, yeah, you take someone, you know, you know, in the first round, but it's still going to be like four years until you see that player. 
not really the case anymore in the NHL. A lot of players picked in the first round are playing right away. You know, maybe some of them stay over in juniors for a year, but for the most part, a lot of players who are picked in the first round, uh, especially for, you know, uh, you know, for top half of the first round, they're getting onto the ice at the NHL level right away. So, uh, you know, you are basically tossing away a potential young player who can help you immediately by, you know, continuing to you know, move away first and second round picks. So again, if it's, if it wins you a cup, great. I just don't think that Mantha is that player that gets them there. I think that he's an upgrade over Vrana, but is he an upgrade at the, at the expense of, you know, thinning your depth? I don't know. Another team that I, you know, just to kind of rattle off a couple before we move on, I was surprised that the Oilers didn't do more. Uh, you know, all they really did, they picked up a depth defenseman in Dmitry Kulikov. But again, you got to, in this format this year, you got to play your way out of your own division. And a team like Toronto, they were aggressive. They, they added to their roster. And, uh, you know, you have them in Winnipeg both ahead of you. It seemed like you probably need to do a little bit more to, again, you know, you got to give McDavid and Drysaddle some help because it's, you know, the, the two of them, have the pressure of carrying this team pretty much on their backs. So I was surprised to see Edmonton not do more. And then another team that I wanted to highlight because, you know, it it was just, it was somewhat surprising to me is a team like uh, San Jose. Again, they, they use their cap space to facilitate trades and they add draft picks. It's the exact opposite of what Washington wanted to do. So I think that's very smart. Again, you, you know, you're in that West division, you're probably not making the playoffs, although they're not out of it yet, but you know, you use that opportunity to get some more draft picks. So I, I liked that. And I also liked Florida. I think the addition of Sam Bennett could be very big for them. I think that I was, a, that was a player who was kind of underutilized uh, in Calgary and he goes to Florida. He's already dished out a couple of assists in his first game there. So that could be big for them. And that's again, a division that's, you have Carolina, which was also – Carolina was also a team that didn't do much. You know, they traded away Hayden Flurry, but uh, other than that, they didn't really do anything. Uh, meanwhile, Tampa is, uh, is loading up for another cup run. They're circumventing the salary cap rules again, but that's topic for another day. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that, that's – I think Florida really has a shot uh, with, you know, the addition of Bennett and, uh, and, you know, just in general with that roster. But that's pretty much going to do it, unless, Lauren, you had any other, you know, remaining thoughts on deadline day in general? No, it wasn't as busy as I thought it would be. No, like, major blockbuster trades, no big last-minute trades. Um, probably one of the quieter tra- trade deadlines in recent memory, but still some good moves by good teams and bad, bad moves by good teams, too. So had a little bit of everything. Exactly. At the end of the day, you, if you're a general manager, you take a risk, you keep in mind the window that you have. And, you know, if you're a team like Washington, you think we got a more of a narrow window, we go all in. And if you're a team like, you know, Philly, you think, you know what, our window probably isn't even open right now. So, you know, we, we kick the can down the road, we, uh, we get some assets and, and we, we look to, you know, compete next year. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the, the way the teams proceed, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how these moves impact the Stanley Cup playoffs. But before we, you know, we get, move into our final segment of the day, we, this is actually really cool. And again, if you have something that you would like to hear us discuss on Snipe and Selly, please tweet at us at Snipe and Selly Pod on Twitter. That's at S-N-I-P-E, the letter N, Selly, C-E-L-L-Y, Pod on Twitter. 
and let us know if you want us to talk about something. Uh, you know, we, uh, because we had a very devoted listener. His name is Roy. Roy, we really appreciate you. You've been listening to us from the beginning. He wanted us to discuss the upcoming expansion draft with the Seattle Kraken entering the NHL. And we're like, oh, I mean, that's an awesome opportunity to talk about uh, the Kraken again. And you know, we're only about 90 or so days away from the expansion draft. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting closer. I think uh, the official day is July 21st. So yeah, just over three months away. Uh, it's getting closer. I can't wait to see you know, players actually wearing these Kraken jerseys. So I want to talk about the intricacies of the expansion draft because, yes, we did go through it just a few years ago with Vegas, but I don't know if people recall uh, or you know, maybe you're newer to watching hockey. Uh, maybe you just need a refresher. So I wanted to talk about the, the way that teams need to proceed because, again, teams approached the trade deadline knowing that the expansion draft was coming up, and that's probably why a team like Boston, you know, to Lauren's expense – made a player like Anders Bjork available because he's a player who they probably would have had to leave exposed to Seattle. So uh, could you keep Anders Bjork and hope that Seattle doesn't take him? Sure. Or you can use him at, uh, in a trade now because you're pretty certain that a useful player like Bjork is going to get uh, picked up by Seattle in a few months. So let's go into it right here. And, uh, you know, and I'll get uh, the reaction from both of you, um, you know, what you think about the expansion draft in general, but, here is basically what we are look, going to be looking forward to as we approach the offseason uh, and July 21st specifically. So the Kraken are going to be under the same exact rules that the Las Vegas Golden Knights were under in 2017. So, you know, if you, again, if you are paying, paying attention, the Golden Knights were set up pretty nicely by that expansion draft. They got a lot of quality players. This is not like the NFL or the NBA where, you, you know, you have bottom of the roster players who uh, wind up on, on the team and the, and the team, you know, mires around in mediocrity for several years before they can start to compete. Uh, you know, Seattle, just like Vegas, will have the opportunity to add young uh, or veteran players, a mix of both to their roster right away. So Seattle will, select one player from each team except for the Golden Knights. So the rich get richer. The Golden Knights do not have to expose anyone uh, to the expansion draft. So Seattle will get 30 total players. Uh, they will uh, be able to select a player from, uh, from each of the other 30 teams, uh, besides, again, besides Vegas. Uh, so they will take 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goalies. Um, and I know what you're saying right now, that doesn't add up to 30. Uh, once you reach those, uh, those um, thresholds, then you can, take, you, know, you can take the rest forwards if you want, or you can take the rest defensemen, the rest goalies. As long as you have 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goalies in your roster, you can proceed with the remaining four players how you see fit until you get up to 30. So each team will surrender a player to Vegas in that, uh, in that scenario. Once we get to that point against – so Seattle needs to – choose a minimum of 20 players who are under contract for the 2021-22 season. So you can't, uh, you can't just be like, okay, uh, hey, uh, Seattle, we're going to expose Zdeno Chara, who is not under contract beyond this season. You can take him uh, because, uh, you know, he's not under contract, but technically we hold his rights until free agency starts. No, you can't do that. They need to be under contract for the next year. So there's no sneaky way about that where you can just, you know, have Seattle select a player's rights. They have to select a player who's under contract. Additionally, Seattle cannot try to skirt the salary cap 
by saying, okay, we're only going to select players who are very, very make minimum salary and be, you know, and, and therefore have, you know, upwards of 40 million in cap space to just sign big free agent players. Seattle needs to select players that end up getting them to about between 60 and 100% of the last season's salary cap. So they do need to spend the majority of their cap space on these players before they go into free agency or select players in the entry draft. Seattle also can't just take on a bad contract and, you know, buy that player out. Uh, so, you know, if, if a team says, Hey, we have, you know, if, if Buffalo says, Hey, Jeff Skinner's contract is awful. Uh, we're going to leave him unprotected and we hope that Seattle uh, takes him. Uh, Seattle can't do that with the intention of just buying him out and, you know, doing Buffalo a solid. Uh, in that, uh, in that case, Skinner would have to play for Seattle for at least one season. So NHL teams, uh, you know, th that's what Seattle can do. Now, if you're a fan of one of the other 30 teams, uh, and again, if you're a fan of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, you don't have to worry about any of this. But if you're a fan of the other 30 NHL teams, okay, well, who, wh you know, what players can my team protect? So teams can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight total skaters between forwards and defensemen and one goalie under the following conditions. All players on your team that have no movement clauses at the time of the draft and who say, hey, we're not waiving our no movement clause, those players have to be protected. So if they have a no trade clause, you, you know, you, you don't, uh, you, that's not a player you get to leave out. They are, they're one of your protected players. So if you have a bunch of players with no trade clauses, you know, that's, that kind of works against you where you have to protect those players and, you know, players who uh, don't have those in their, their contracts are exposed. Uh, all first and second year professionals, as well as your unsigned draft choices, are exempt from uh, selections. So you don't have to worry about uh, having to protect a player who you just selected in the draft or who just made their debut for you, uh, you know, this past season. Uh, if they are, you know, less than two years of service time, they or they're not signed yet, uh, you know, from the previous draft. It's not like Seattle can just pluck your first round pick from from a year ago and be like, "Yep, uh, this guy's ours now." Nope, they can't do that either. In addition, all NHL teams need to meet the following minimum requirements regarding players exposed for selection in the draft. So you have to have at least one defenseman who is under contract uh, for the 21-22 season and has played in at least 40 NHL games or played in at least 70 games the prior two seasons. So uh, you do need to have, you know, it doesn't have to be a young defenseman, but it has to be a defenseman with experience. Uh, you also have to have two forwards exposed who are under contract and have played that, that those same parameters, 40 games the prior season or at least 70 NHL games the prior two seasons. So again, you can see why a team like Boston would uh, say, you know what, maybe we use Andres Bjork uh, as the centerpiece in a trade because he meets these criteria. That's a prime player who they have to leave exposed to Seattle that Seattle probably takes in the expansion draft. Again, sorry, Lauren. Um, and then finally, uh, you need to have at least one goalie who's under contract in the 21-22 season or who will be a restricted free agent uh, at the end of this, uh, this current season. So basically, you, you need to have a, a goalie who is a legitimate NHL goalie available to Seattle. Obviously, it worked out very well for Vegas a few years back when you know, Marc-Andre Fleury was going to be you know, a, a high cap hit for 
Pittsburgh. They were ready to go with Matt Murray. And, you know, Vegas gets a still very excellent goaltender in uh, Marc-Andre Fleury available to them for free. Uh, you know, obviously you got to pay him, but you don't have to give up anything for him. So, uh, you know, they, the Seattle Kraken will be getting a legitimate NHL goaltender. Uh, so you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, having five goals, five, six goals put up on you a night because you're putting someone uh, in that who does not deserve to be at the NHL level. Uh, finally, players who have potential career-ending injuries, who have missed more than uh, you know the previous 60 consecutive games, or just have been confirmed to have a career-threatening injury, uh, you can't just say, "Oh yeah, we're going to leave this guy exposed uh, so that we can you know have uh, have another player uh, who you know might be more valuable to us uh, protected." No, you you can't you can't do that. Uh, you still assume that risk. Uh, and then finally. The, uh, with the expansion draft set to take place on July 21st, uh, teams will have until July 17th to submit their protection lists to the league. So at that point, the Kraken will have four days to basically put together their entire roster. Again, this is, it's going to be all theatrical. Uh, it'll be very, uh, very similar to uh, the NHL draft in general uh, on you know, the actual evening of the event where you know, they'll go down and select a player from each team. But essentially, they'll have four days. They'll know exactly who they're taking because those players have to be left uh, exposed to the draft. So they'll have four days to put together a roster. And then at that point, two days after that, will be the actual first-year player draft where Seattle will have a top draft choice and then have an opportunity, depending on how much cap space they have left over, to sign some free agents. So when you take all that into consideration, again, Seattle is going to be left with a lot of legitimate NHL talent. Uh, and again, depending on who they're, they're claiming enough cap space to potentially, you know, pluck some top tier free agents off the market and give themselves some more legitimate talent. So like Vegas with these rules in place, these rules are put in place to encourage the competitive balance of the league. So Seattle will probably be pretty good right away. Uh, are they going to be as great right out the gate as Vegas? Probably not. Cause that was an anomaly. Vegas was a legitimate cup contender right away, but Lauren, did, did any of these, you know, guidelines, did you, you know, forget about any of them? Do you dislike any of them? You know, what are your thoughts on the way the NHL has structured this to give their expansion franchises a better shot than say the Atlanta Thrashers when they entered the league and just never had a prayer? Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff I completely forgot about just because it's been a couple of years since the expansion draft. And, you know, when you have players that you can protect the seven forwards through defenseman and goalie. It's kind of like, you know, who's going to be protected um, Bruins wise. So I never, it's not really something I ever paid too, too much attention to, but I think the NHL for once has done something really good. I think that they make it as fair as possible for them to the Seattle team to build a good team. And they're not going to get somebody who's injured. It's not going to be like when the Red Sox traded for Drew Pomeranz and they withheld all this injury reports from the Red Sox. And at the end, they're like, you can give them back if you want. So it's going to avoid that kind of thing. And it's going to avoid, you know, like salary cap and manipulation and stuff like that. So I think that, I think they are doing the best they can. I think that it's, it's fair enough. And I think that it also stops uh, NHL teams from from protecting all their studs and they they're like oh like we can't protect the entire forward group like people aren't going to be protected you are risking losing a good player but like you said it's going to give them a chance it's not going to be like the thrashers RIP so I think that Seattle 
there's a lot of good players around the league that aren't going to be protected. I think Seattle's going to be strong. Will, like, will they be Vegas the first year? Probably not. But if they get honors Bjork, then absolutely. They're going to be Stanley Cup champs. But if they don't, then no, they'll just be like good team. Just fair. <laughs> right across the board, just fair team. Yeah, I mean, again, look at what Vegas was able to do. Again, depending on the cap situations of other teams, you could end up getting some legitimate players. You know, James Neal was a legitimate, still a 25 to 30 goal scorer at that time. And the Predators just didn't have room for him on their roster anymore based on the money that he was making. So in swoop Vegas, that uh, you know, they left him unprotected. Vegas says, yeah, we'll take this guy off your hands, uh, you know, and, and we'll be able to you know, have a, uh, someone on our top line right away who's legitimately a top six forward. Uh, you know, it's not like you're playing uh, a bunch of grinders or fourth liners on your top line and you know, struggling to score every night. Uh, and again, you know, the, getting a, a starting NHL goaltender in Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, it's, it's very fair. And conversely, it could help a team out who, you know, again, those are still useful players, but maybe they're stuck in a situation where, oh, you know, this is a contract that we'd prefer to get off our books. And, you know, what will we have to do? Will we have to, you know, give up a first round pick to get someone to take on this contract? Well, no, you can, you're not going to get anything back, but uh, you're going to be able to, you know, get rid of the, of this contract and have cap space available to continue to improve your roster. Haley, did you, uh, you know, kind of follow the expansion draft when Vegas was entering the league? Uh, and if not, are you going to be following it this time, just at the very least to be able to, to, you know, get an idea of who Philly is going to be able to protect and who, you know, might be leaving your roster? So, no, I didn't. It's right along with the draft stuff that I never really follow. Um, I kind of have an idea of who would be protected on the flyer side based on the the rules that you just laid out for us. Um, So I'll pay attention to this one, but probably more so just so that I can keep up with y'all on Snipe and Sully (laughs) than any other reason. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun watching it last time. And, of course, as a, a na- more naive fan at the time, uh, I thought that the Bruins leaving Colin Miller unprotected was just a huge mistake. I, mean, I can't believe they're letting a, a quality defenseman like Colin Miller go to, uh, go to Vegas. And in reality, Colin Miller, while he has some offensive upside, is kind of lacking uh, in his own end, which is, you know, important for defensemen. So uh, I... <laughs> I was definitely wrong about about that, but I, I remember just thinking like, oh, I can't believe we just gave away a player like Miller uh, as our as our one guy. You know, couldn't you have given up you know some stiff instead? Well, no, because there are rules, and there are rules that are put in place to allow uh, Seattle to be competitive right away. So, uh, you know, to both of you, both uh, Haley and Lauren, what do you think Vegas, not Vegas, Seattle? winds up exiting this uh, expansion draft? Do you think that they are going to end up with a, a, a roster that makes them competitive right away? Do you think that, uh, you know, just somehow, uh, you know, it, it just won't work out for them? Uh, you know, again, Ron Francis is their GM, very accomplished general manager. Uh, he knows what he's doing. So do you think that Seattle, I'll, I'll just put you on the spot right now. We'll make predictions on April 18th. Is Seattle a playoff team next year? Yes. <laughs> I'm going bold. Yes. Yes. There we go. Hales, how about yourself? Uh, I'm going to go with playoffs, yes. Nice. Final no. Okay, okay. So she went above and beyond. Okay, so uh, safe assumption. Uh, again, uh, what Vegas did was not very normal. Uh, making it to the cup final, you know, 
months after not existing. But uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I just think that the, it's set up for Seattle to have some success right away. And we're getting into streaming over here at FTF Media. So maybe we'll try and do a stream during the expansion draft and, and react to the different players who are being plucked off of rosters and, uh, and you know, kind of assess Seattle's chances. But uh, so again, shout out to Roy, a fantastic listener. Uh, you know, we appreciated uh, you sending us this topic. And if there's anything that you would like to hear on Snipe and Sally moving forward, listeners, please tweet at us uh, or tweet at any of us individually. You know, we'd love to talk about, uh, you know, anything that you want to hear about. So finally, before we wrap up our show, it is our weekly tradition that we go around the league and let all of our listeners know who's caught our eye in either a positive or negative fashion. Uh, and so there are some teams that have really, I mean, we highlighted Boston. They've been super hot ever since the trade deadline. There have been some teams going in the wrong direction too. Uh, so Lauren, we'll start with you. Who's really caught your eye right now uh, in both a negative and, uh, and positive fashion? So I know I said this last week, but I have to highlight Jeremy Swayman again. Um, I, I know it's a small sample size, but he has so much poise. He is, he looks like a veteran out there. And I'm sure that if he continues to play uh, throughout the rest of the season, there will be a drop-off, of course. But he is just given Bruins fans so much hope and optimistic optimism for the future in the goal. And the way he conducts himself after games is incredible. The way he conducts himself in the games is incredible. He's just everything you want in a goalie and he makes these flashy saves and like, it's nothing. And he lets in a goal or two. It's nothing. Like he's just focused on what can I do next? What can I do better? So he's really, really caught by, excuse me, obviously the Bruins have two, just taking two in a row from the Islanders and one from the Capitals today. Those are six huge points that the Bruins need, especially because the uh, Rangers are hanging around in that division. They're being a little sneaky. So the more points the Bruins can amass, obviously, the better. Um, and then disappointing, the Blue Jackets um, didn't, I, I can't honestly can't remember if I expected too much from them this season, but they've lost five in a row and just not really looking good there. Um, and the, I have to shout out the Sabres because they got eliminated from postseason contention. Sorry, Anders, you deserve so much more, but it's impressive to get eliminated from playoff contention on April 16th. 18th okay I'm a little far behind but um the season is still like three weeks away from being over and they are very much out of it so go Sabres listen despite the fact that they have fallen out of playoff contention the Sabres are playing a lot of teams tough lately uh so you know shout out to them shout out to Anders Bjork getting an opportunity to get regular ice time he's already got I think three points in his first uh few games in Buffalo so uh, they're at the very least, you know, they're making it hard on teams, even if they wind up losing at the end of the, each game, they're, they're making it difficult for them. But uh, yeah, very, uh, very much agree, Lauren. Haley, I'm going to assume that one of the teams that have disappointed you are your own Philadelphia Flyers. But, uh, you know, let's let our listeners know, uh, you know, who's impressed you and who's kind of got you wringing your hands. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers at this point, like, they may not have been officially out of the playoffs but they're out of the playoffs like there's just no way in my opinion that they're they're making the playoffs they can join the Sabres at home to watch them um so it's disappointing I just feel like this entire season with them has been very disappointing where they have the talent and the team to be able to do a lot better and they did not really nothing with it um so as long as Kevin Hayes stays then 
the Seattle Kraken can take whoever they want. At this point, I need Philly to do something because whatever they did this season is not working. So they need to figure something else out. Um, as for the good side, definitely Boston was one of them. I felt like for a while I wasn't really seeing anything on my Twitter feed. And, of course, I watched the games because Boston's my second team. I enjoy them. But I really wasn't seeing much going on. And then it was like win after win on the Twitter feed. And I was like, okay, like they're they're doing something. And this is the time to do it because playoffs are right around the corner. So they really need to hold on to their spot. So that's why I say they definitely, I don't follow trades, but it seems like they definitely won because they're, they're keeping that playoff spot. Thanks to, you know, the players they added have really helped them in these wins. And of course their goaltending situation. And even know that the sharks are most likely not going to make the playoffs say most likely because you never know I have been more impressed with them in the end of the season than I was in the beginning I feel like they're playing a lot better they're maybe not winning as much games as you would hope but they definitely like they're not last in their division so they're playing better they're getting there Um, they may not make playoffs but hopefully they can do some work too and, and get them to a spot where next season looks a lot better yeah, I mean, San Jose was hot. They were they had kind of vaulted themselves back into the playoff picture. They've lost five in a row now. Um, you know, it, it's been a tough stretch for them. But despite that, and again, th- this last playoff spot in the, the Honda West division is tricky because they're still just five points out of a playoff spot. They're five points behind Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they've got one game in hand on them. St. Louis is right in front of them. St. Louis is four points up on San Jose, uh, and they have a game in hand on them. So it's those three teams basically going to fight out for that last playoff spot. So if San Jose can kind of catch lightning in a bottle again uh, and, and you know, kind of right the ship, they still have a shot to make it. So you, you never know. San Jose, but. what do we need to do to light that fire so you can knock the Blues out? Like, we're here for you. Whatever you need, we're going to do it. We don't want the Blues in. So just, like, Tweet us, let us know. Yeah, exactly. Give us your strategy. <laughs> but as for myself, I'm impressed with the entire top of the Honda West division that we just talked about. Other than the, the three teams that are fighting it up for the fourth spot and kind of, you know, seeing who's less mediocre than the rest, Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota are just, I mean, this is going to be a battle royale. So right now, Lauren's Avs. They are sitting atop the, the division with 64 points. They are uh, one of two teams, the other, of course, being Vegas, that have won 30 games so far. They've won four in a row. They look fantastic. Vegas, again, right behind them. They, they're just two points back. They've played the same amount of games. Vegas has won five in a row. So those are the only two teams with 30 wins, and uh, it's going to be neck and neck between them and the rest of the season. But then you have Minnesota. They've won three in a row, and they're seven points out of first. They're probably not going to catch Colorado but they're firmly entrenched in a playoff spot. This is a team that I predicted, not to pat myself on the back, but I predicted they'd make the playoffs. They look fantastic right now. Uh, and I think that they could make some noise. That, you know, they're capable of knocking off either of those two teams in the playoffs. So we'll have to see if that happens. Uh, but as for, uh, as for teams that are kind of uh, you know, letting me down, Nashville, after kind of uh, they righted the ship, they were on a huge run, and you know they basically reverted themselves from being sellers to uh, at the deadline to you know being a team that was entrenched in a playoff spot. They are still currently in the fourth and final playoff spot in the Discover Central Division, but they've lost back-to-back games. 
they really didn't do anything at the deadline. Like they didn't actually, uh, even though they didn't sell, they didn't become buyers either. So you really, you're basically just kind of riding the wave. And meanwhile, Chicago's right behind you. Chicago could still take that fourth and final playoff spot. And oh, guess who else could? The Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars are back from the dead. And they are just three points out of a playoff spot with three games in hand. So Dallas could wind up taking that fourth spot despite all they've been through this season. So Nashville, I'm very disappointed in you. I mean, again, you just, you, it seemed like you just did, you didn't expect to have the, the hot streak that you did. And then you decided, well, you know, we're not going to trade off Ekholm. We're not going to move, uh, you know, players who could help other teams, but we're also not going to add and make our roster any better. So explain that to me. And then finally, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto has kind of, uh, they've, you know, kind of crash landed back, uh, back to earth a little bit. Uh, they have lost, I think, you know, three out of their last four. And again, Winnipeg and Edmonton catching ground on them again. So we'll have to see what happens. Toronto definitely went for it at the deadline, but until I actually see them win a playoff series, I'm never going to be convinced that they're going to do it. So I don't care what type of success you're having right now, Toronto. I need to see you physically win a playoff series. I need you to, to see you give the, I don't know if they'll do handshakes this year. Maybe they'll just do like, you know, uh, you know, elbow bumps, but I need you to be in that handshake line celebrating a series victory before I actually believe that you can do it. Uh, and your recent stretch, despite your acquisitions, doesn't leave much to be desired for me. So we'll have to see what happens there. But that is going to do it uh, for our show today. And so before we you know, go around the room and let all of our listeners know where we can all be found online, I wanted to see if either Lauren or Haley had an empty netter for us. Uh, to wrap up the show. So Lauren, we'll start with you. Do you have an empty netter? Yeah, it has absolutely nothing to do with hockey, but if all of our amazing listeners could go throw my tweet about Roxy, uh, my precious dog, alike, she's trying to win us $20,000. So <laughs> y'all could just, you know, give her a like, maybe a retweet. That'd be cool. She's really cute. She barks a lot. And sometimes you hear her on the show and she loves all of you. So please do. We need the money. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, Roxy is our mascot, uh, one of our mascots. Uh, she, uh, as Lauren mentioned, she has been heard on the show before. Lauren and Derek do have a wedding coming up, so that uh, that prize money would go uh, very well towards it. And uh, and yeah, definitely give Roxy a like. Uh, we actually quote tweeted on the Snipe and Selly account Lauren's tweet uh, about Roxy as well. So go give Roxy some love uh, and and help her win this competition. Absolutely. Um, Hales, how about yourself? Do you have an empty netter for us today? I'm just going to reiterate that. Y'all, weddings are expensive. Even if you do a really cheap wedding and you DIY a lot of your decorations like I did, it is expensive. There's so much that goes into it. Then you have your honeymoon and also just living costs. So everybody go like and retweet Roxy because she is adorable. Absolutely, she is. <laughs> Um, as for myself, I did want to end our show with a shout out to the legendary Patrick Marlowe, who tied Gordie Howe's all-time record for games played in the National Hockey League last night with 1,767 games played. Again, do the math there, okay? Uh, an NHL season is 82 games. So assuming that Patrick Marlowe never missed a game, which is is not the case. He's missed time. I mean, it's, it's hockey. It's a physical sport. That's the equivalent of 21 and a half seasons of NHL hockey. So rea in reality, that's 22 or 23 seasons. 
that Patrick Marlowe has been suiting up for both the Sharks, Maple Leafs, et cetera. That's an incredible achievement. So shout out to uh, Patrick Marlowe for uh, tying Gordie Howe's record. And unless, you know, something, unless he gets hit by a piano tomorrow, uh, he's going to end up setting this record. Uh, I'm not saying that I want that to happen. I don't, Haley. Uh, Haley's making a face. Uh, I want him to set this record. It's a great accomplishment. I was making a face because what you came up with was being hit by a piano. I mean, that's pretty much the only thing that could knock a hockey player out of competition. Uh, you know, getting hit by like a, pianos are heavy. I don't know if you've ever tried to move one. Uh, it's it's very very difficult. So we are fully expecting Patrick Marlowe to set this record with 1,768 games played at the NHL level, and we will be sure to shout him out on next episode as well. But with that being said, I wanted to go around to each of my line mates and have them let you know where they can be found online. So Lauren, we'll start with you. Where else can our listeners find your coverage for Nesson? Uh, where else can they hear you? Uh, if they cannot get enough, Lauren, what do they do? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok at la 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 Lauren, three laws, and then Lauren with four R's. Um, you can find all of my coverage um, for the Bruins and the Red Sox on Nesson.com. You can hear me on the Nesson Bruins pod. You can hear me on the Stealing Second pod here on FTF. And I think that's it. You can really just find me anywhere. You can. And again, we are so appreciative that Lauren makes time for us each episode because she's always super busy uh, and we love her. So go vote for Roxy and go give Lauren a follow on all those platforms and listen to her, all of her shows. Haley, your list of places where you can be found is equally long. You still haven't written it down, but I think you have it almost memorized. So where can our listeners find you online? Where else can they listen to you? I do feel like I have it memorized, but sometimes I switch up the order just to, you know, I don't know, keep everybody on their toes. So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at CSI Haley on TikTok at CSI Haley 91. You can find me co-hosting and co-running the social medias for Gridiron Girls and Fierce and Flawed. You can find Gridiron Girls at Girls Gridiron on Twitter and Gridiron Girls Pod on Instagram. And you can find Fierce and Flawed at Fierce and Flawed on Twitter and Fierce and Flawed Pod on Instagram. Also make sure you're following at For the Fans Media all together, all one word, I guess, uh, for Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So please go follow us. Check out forthefansmedia.com. Check out all of our amazing content on there as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, so on the note of Fierce and Flawed, we're doing a, uh, a binge watch slash TV miniseries right now. The episode that we're going to be recording coming up here is on a teen drama slash romance series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a sneak preview. I will be highlighting one of my favorite shows of all time. It is addicting. If you are a 90s kid, you absolutely know about this. And that is Beverly Hills 90210. I am a massive fan of that series, all 10 seasons, even after Jason Priestley left. And I will be ranting all about Beverly Hills 90210 on this most recent episode. So if you have not listened to Fierce and Flawed yet, it's a very fun show. Uh, definitely give it a listen uh, for this series and then beyond that. So uh, shout out to Haley, who does a fantastic job hosting, co-hosting that show with Carly. As for myself, I can be found on Twitter at Mark Pacelli13. That is pretty much the only social media site that I'm actually routinely active on. So uh, that is P-I-S-E-L-L-I. I can also be heard on Views from the Rafters. That is our FTF Media Basketball podcast, as well as on NerdPod uh, with our fantastic Christian hosting. And uh, as I mentioned before, on Fierce and Flawed. So 
definitely uh, give those pods a, a like, a subscribe, listen, rate and review, all the above. And as Haley mentioned before, definitely check it out for thefansmedia.com for some fan, fantastic content. But that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you all once again for listening. And until the next time you hear us, enjoy the action on the ice. Bye, everybody.